Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Welcome back to Telling Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television across the state, around the world on the WWW machine, 102.9 ESPN.com. You listen live on the stream all the time. Thanks to Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. If you want to call 361-3688, the phone number 361-3688, the phone number. All guests join us via the Rankish Brothers RV phone line. And again, I want to remind everybody, uh, we're excited about this. Uh, we will give you details next week on how this is going to work, what we're going to do. But we will be sending one lucky listener with a friend to Coeur d'Alene Golf Resort for a stay and play overnight at the great hotel at the Coeur d'Alene Golf Resort and then a round of golf at the uh, phenomenal five-star Coeur d'Alene uh, Resort golf course, the world's only floating green. Is that? I mean, that's remarkable on Earth. It's amazing. Now, at, on are a, we going to go? Are we going to go certificate or eight this year, dude? Because we've done this twice. Yeah. And I got a certificate for my par. Mm-hmm. One of my great golfing accomplishments. Yeah, you made a par on the on, on the, the floating on green, the, and the they get, and they give you a little thing that mm-hmm. that uh, says yeah, I was a witness and you did it. You got a par. Mm-hmm. And then last year I hit it in the water twice and was forced to take the boat over and humbly took my eight. Now, you can still get a certificate with the Ocho. You know, you can get... Right, right, right. I only the, wanted it because of the par. The five over. Uh, now, I don't want to be, you know, this guy, but I can't help it because I am this guy. On a global scale, aren't all the greens floating? <laughs> I mean, right? We're, we're, all, we're all on islands. We're all on plates. We're just sort of shooting off into the ether okay Pangea. Coulter it is time my friend uh for something we haven't done in a little while I don't know why I think we're going to do this more because I love doing this and it is our blindside segment it is a uh Coulter and I have a couple of questions for each other that we have not informed the other one about what we're going to ask and uh hopefully it is a uh a start of, a, of some honest and open conversation uh which we like to do around here so Coulter I'll start with okay. you okay um, we were talking baseball. This is not about players, union, owners, stuff like that. I, I don't want to get bogged down on that. This is just about baseball itself. Let's just assume 
that this is going to work out and we're going to have an 82-game schedule, okay? One game more than half of, of, of a full 162-game schedule. Okay. The pace of play and season duration have been, for many, the talking points about how to improve baseball and widen its appeal, okay? Yep. The season's too long, and the games of the seasons are too long, so what are we going to do? And some things on the pace of play stuff have have been put in place to try and speed it up a little bit. That's all well and good. 82 games is not just a shortened schedule. I mean, that's that's fully almost half of, of a season. Is there a point to be proven for people who think that the season should be shortened by having what will be a very shortened season? And will that will 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 that resonate with people will you have more fans not just because Man. there's nothing else on but Man. for baseball because it is now going to happen in this sprint of 82 games the most important part of baseball to quote-unquote baseball guys ba- baseball people baseball right. lovers yep is the history is the and the history that's right is i is defined by statistics, and you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, anybody that's been a, a baseball lifer, an old timer who loves baseball, well, what's the one of the number one things that they bring up when it comes to talking about? Oh, Barry Bonds hit seventy home runs a season. It's not the cheating; it's that oh, he had eight more games. Yeah, he had he had forty to fifty more at bats. Right, one hundred fifty four games is what Babe Ruth hit that's sixty right. home that's runs right. in. Right, right. What's more impressive, you know? Ty Cobb's 250-plus hits, or Ichiro Suzuki. Well, Ichiro, as the leadoff hitter, got to play 10 more games than Ty Cobb. Yeah. So this comparison of statistics, if you shorten the season, you, re- you redefine your entire game. And although it might win you over people that are they don't have the patience to endure a baseball game individually or a baseball season collectively, I think you then, I don't want to say lose, but definitely ostracize and anger a lot of baseball people that are traditionalists that understand the meaning of what the statistics are because more than any other sport the statistics define baseball it's the way that we compare everything and you can compare baseball way more accurately in terms of guys from way different eras because of statistics i i think you make a great argument that's the positive argument. I'm going to make the negative argument. They're arguing for the same thing, but I'm going to go the other way. You and I do a sports talk show. We encounter a lot of bad arguments, and I will go so far as to say dumb arguments for things. But of the arguments that continue to recur, the arguments against an expanded football playoff are the dumbest. This might be the second dumbest. Like the idea that having a shortened season that goes down to 154 games or, yes, even 82 games somehow broadens the appeal of your sport because now it's easier to track because you're not awash in in 162 is idiotic in the utmost. There is It does not feel at all when you're watching a game more important because there's only 82 of them as opposed to 162 of them at all. All. And I think it would affect the quality of play, too, because baseball is made to play almost every day. The other thing, you, you're absolutely. better at baseball if you play it every day. It's not it's not like football where, oh, you got a bye week and now you're going to perform way better after you had a, a week and a half off. So often baseball, it's the time. If you get a couple of days off, 
you're not as sharp when you come back. The other thing, too, is baseball is the one sport, both for fans and certainly for players, the games are less important than the series. Right. The series are, if you win two out of three, you've won. Exactly. And now you're moving on to the next town, or now the next team's right. coming and through your town. And the scheduling would also be a nightmare, so, too, because you have to play, I mean, you'd have to play a home and home, you have to play three home and three away series against everybody in your division, right? You'd assume. Well, I mean, if you really shortened it, you would probably have to change two everything. Two and two, right. But Whatever. It, I, it, yeah, but I think it really just makes it, it makes so many of the things so weird. Here's my thought. Uh, and this was the epiphany that I shared on the show earlier this week. Baseball's problem is not how long it takes. It's how homogenized it's become because of a, an array of different factors. If you still had crazy swinging guys or guys that were happy to be villains or you know not this intense, insane specialization where a computer is telling you who to pitch, when to, where to pitch them, maximizing the rate of failure across the board as well as then the cumulative league acceptance of just swinging for the fence and striking out all the time that's what's made baseball less appealing it's not the duration of the games baseball hours have taken 3 uh, baseball games have taken 3 hours forever yeah. <laughs> yeah well actually if you go back there's a couple of 2 hour 2 hour and 10 minute runs in there sure. because pitchers were just like next yeah next, yeah yeah next. yeah sure sure but it's very much like golf everybody's saying oh we're going to do all these things to cater to younger, more impatient people to make golf better. It hasn't made the game better whatsoever. I hate putting with the pin in. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I, I understand. Now they're talking about making the golf hole right, bigger so right. you can hit it in there. Is right. that your That's not like, what the game is. Look, man, if you, if you are trying to get baseball or golf on television to appeal to a kid who's playing video games. Exactly. First-person shooters. Exactly. There is no chance. Like, the, right. like the action and activity level and the whiz-bang pop neon lights of video games. That's right. I'm so old. I said whiz-bang pop of video games. All I'm saying is you sit there and your head just explodes watching this stuff. And now you're standing here watching Brooks Kapka stand over a putt for 11 seconds. Who cares if it's nine seconds? You're going, what are we doing here? Exactly. Get me another Red Bull. Exactly. And I've thought about this a lot because I, th- I, I at one point I was beating myself up because I thought to myself, have I just become that person who's addicted to instant gratification? Have I become the guy who can't watch baseball because I think it's too slow and boring? But then I go to baseball games all summer long because my house is right next to the Osprey field. I love it. Yeah. I, won't, I don't ever want it to end. I'll sit down there for four hours. And then, I, you know, we watch football for 12 hours straight on Saturdays. No problem with it. I'll watch a golf tournament yeah. from my, start to finish. It's not that my direct. wife wishes I had a little no, less. No doubt. No doubt. No stuff. doubt. But like I'll watch a golf tournament from start to finish and and yeah. not be bored at all. No. And it's so it's not the action in baseball that drives me crazy. It's the it's the homo, the constant homogenization that's spurred okay. on. I mean, if there wasn't a shift on every single freaking play, it would be a lot more entertaining to watch. If you had guys like Ozzy Smith running around out there, it's so hard to discern who's who in a baseball game anymore. They all look the same. They're all prototypes. They're all just like these <laughs> six foot two, 190 pound guy. I mean, there is a little bit of originality, but nowhere close to what there used to be. You know all what right. I mean? All right. Okay. Two tell new on is one of nine ESPN radio. Blinds. All right. Your turn to ask. We're going to do question. this. We're going to do the segment of where did all the fat boys from Montana go? Later on, okay, not good. right now. Okay, I got a, I got a question for, right, for you. Let's hear it. It's impossible to know the answer uh, in terms of comparing, the best comparing eras when you talk about 
how someone would handle the spotlight and the scrutiny and all of the things that go along with profound fame. There's been a lot of talk about Michael Jordan and his ability to navigate fame. What would Jordan's have reputation been like if he was playing now, where there's Twitter, where there's TMZ, where there's all these things? Jordan was getting pretty, pretty pressed on and pretty frustrated by the media during his career. He talks a lot about it in The Last Dance about how one of the reasons he walked away from the game was he was just feeling the pressure. I mean, he was floating that to his father before his father even died. And then when his father died, that was the domino that just said, I need a break from this. I cannot be having people hound me about my gambling and my golfing. Just lay off of me. Right. You have to think conventional wisdom would say it would be even worse and more intense now. How would they handle it, right? And there's the comparison between him and LeBron James because I think they're the two American athletes that have navigated fame more flawlessly than almost anybody, Mm -hmm. Um, both being globally famous, pop culture icons, phenomenal basketball players. But I was thinking the other day, I I thought of a different parallel, and I already asked you this. I teased this, so you're going to know what I'm talking about. But I was thinking I have been one of the loudest uh, opponents to the way that Aaron Rodgers conducts himself on the sideline. I think God that Aaron Rodgers, yes. his uh, body language and the way he's, when guys just don't do things right, the way he reacts. But then I also got to thinking, he's very similar to Michael Jordan. This just happens to be an HD TV where you're shooting a game with 75 cameras and every time Aaron <laughs> Rodgers goes to the sideline, you zoom in on him. Right. They weren't zooming in on Jordan every time he went to the sideline. First of all, how they ever went to the sideline. Right. But but when they did, it, you never saw the video of Michael Jordan ripping Dennis Rodman for not getting back on defense. Whereas Aaron Rodgers, it's become a thing and he gets exploited for it mm-hmm. where the camera's on him at all times. He's ripping Randall Cobb. He's ripping everybody. But then I think to myself... If we if we glorify Jordan for it, then who am I to kill Aaron Rodgers for it? Uh, I totally agree with you. The parallels don't end there. Michael Jordan, unequivocally, without question, the greatest basketball player of all time. Aaron Rodgers, unequivocally, without question, the greatest football player of all time. So we are apples and apples. You really think he's the greatest football player of all time? Come on, man. You, you give me an opportunity to tell to say my guy's <laughs> the best. I'm going to say. Here, here's the but, thing, though. Here's the thing, though. I criticize Aaron Rodgers so much, and I honest, I obviously love jabbing him to get to your to you as well, and I obviously dislike the Green Bay Packers as well. Yes. If it was up to me as someone that is obsessed with watching greatness and having greatness affirmed, if it was up to me, I wish Aaron Rodgers was chasing his seventh Super Bowl ring this year. Because I do think he's the greatest thrower of the football that we've ever seen. I wish that he had all the rings like Tom Brady, because Aaron Rodgers is better than Tom Brady at the action of playing quarterback. He has nowhere close to the legacy, though, because Tom Brady has won at such a high level. No question. Uh, I... I, I understand what you're saying, that like the parallels that are there in terms of what gets hung on Aaron Rodgers and how it it may not be actually very much different, if different at all, from all the ways that Michael Jordan interacted and maybe negatively interacted with his teammates in the interest of getting the most out of them. You want to know the, one of the biggest differences, though, too, is Michael Jordan has undeniable charisma, no, even when he's being in your face, maybe yeah. less than stellar mm-hmm. teammate or, or whatever. Whereas Aaron Rodgers is snarky and dismissive at all times. The, yeah, well, I don't with know. With the media, with the media, his public his public persona is what it is. Yeah. One of the reasons I like him is because he never changes. Yeah, and this is the, so. There's two things here. First of all, there is something to be said where in basketball you can have a team, and often do have a team where there is one guy who is unquestionably whether it's AAU or whether it's high school, college, pro, where there's one guy on this team who is 
who is absolutely the, the the start and the end of everything, both in terms of the player that uh, you know that he is on the floor and also the the persona or the aura that he has that he carries with it. He is it. Okay, everyone looks to him. Michael Jordan was that, of course. I don't know that you have that in football. I think probably the closest you have to it is Tom Brady. And he's the guy that if I was going to compare Aaron Rodgers and his action to, who rips guys more than Tom Brady on his own team? Tom, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I think, would do better to actually yell at his guys in the in the in the uh, a court of public opinion to get out there and yell at them because people can appreciate, oh, look, it, he's just fiery. He's just you know, it's the desire to play. It's the competitive edge as opposed to he kind of looks and just go, you know, has a dismissive look or a snarky look or something like that. And people are like, well, what, what's this jerk doing? Whereas Tom Brady, he's headbutting guys. He's screaming and he's encouraging too, by the way, Tom Brady. And I think he gets a lot of run out of that, but we've watched him just unload on guys coming back to, you know, the, the huddle negatively because they didn't do what they were supposed to or what Tom wanted them to do or whatever. And usually Tom Brady gets praised for even that, you know? So I don't I don't know exactly what it is, but at the end of the day, you just got to be who you are, right? Like you got to be Tom Brady and be the fiery type of in-your-face guy. And Aaron Rodgers is that a little bit, but more he's just, you know, he lets his frustrations be known, but it's not what this. It, it feels like it's just all about me. I mean, I, that's what that's what people think. People think Aaron Rodgers thinks that it's all about him because it looks like that. But I don't think that that's probably quite accurate. If you saw my eyebrows raise, it's because I just saw a tweet on Twitter. We talked about Zach Hoffpower, the young man. There's a safeties coach from Northern Colorado who passed away yesterday. Uh, best friends of Christian McCaffrey the son of head coach of Northern Colorado, or of Northern Colorado head coach Ed McCaffrey. Christian is. and then Christian is. Yeah. And Zach Hoffpower is Christian McCaffrey's best friend. Yeah. And Zach Hoffpower played both football with Christian McCaffrey at Stanford and then played baseball at Stanford as and well. And was a safeties coach going to I knew coach. I recognized that name. I didn't know why. Zach Hoffpower played two seasons with the Missoula Osprey. Mm. So this is one that we've watched this young man play. He played. Through. He played here two summers ago. I actually I remember that. I think we might have even interviewed him. That's crazy. That uh, that's chilling to think that we actually watched this guy in person. What uh, what a tragedy! Like we said earlier, you know, Zach Alphard passed away yesterday, age of twenty seven. But not only a Northern Colorado assistant coach, not only a former Stanford Cardinal, but also a former Missoula Osprey. Yeah, Matt Ellis, uh, the uh, executive vice president of the Osprey. He just tweeted out uh, thoughts and prayers to former Osprey outfielder Zach Halfbauer's family. Zach was uh, lost to the world way too young. Once an Osprey, always an Osprey. So yeah. interesting. What else do you have from the blind side? Well, two telling the one is 102.9 ESPN radio. Let's do this. Let's uh, take a pause. Okay. I got another question for you. And, uh, and I know that you also have a couple other topics that you want to get to regarding linemen, because that's first and foremost, what you care about in sports are linemen, linemen getting their shine. So you're going to give some to them and ask a question about that. So we'll get to all that right after this. 
At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Welcome back to Telling the Wanas on two nine ESPN Radio. Great to be with you on this Friday afternoon. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Thanks for spending some of your time with us, letting us be with you heading into the weekend. Uh, if you've missed anything in the show, you can check it out on the podcast. The Two Telling the Wanas podcast is available everywhere, all over the podcasting platforms. You can get it whenever you want it, wherever you'd like it. Podcast available thanks to Alpine Touch and Blackfoot. Uh, Coulter, we were having a blind side, and uh, we uh, also got uh, a little bit uh, taken to the side. Again, the news uh, that Zach, Zach Hoffpower, who uh, was a safeties coach at Northern Colorado, former Stanford safety on the Stanford football team, um, dear friend and, and nearly family of the McCaffrey family, friend of Christian McCaffrey's and, and uh, obviously Ed McCaffrey, who's the head coach at Northern Colorado. And also, as we came to find in this last segment, a uh, former Osprey, played for the Missoula Osprey for a season and a half, passed away uh, last night at the age of 26. Just a terrifically sad uh, uh, story and, and obviously unfolding here kind of in real time uh, at a public level. And then a the remarkable number of ties to this town and this mm-hmm. state and the sports mm-hmm. community here, both with uh, obviously Northern Colorado and on the baseball side of things. So uh, just a tragic loss uh, of, of Zach Hoffpower and our thoughts are with all of those uh, in his immediate circle of friends and family. Um, but Coulter, we were talking about Aaron Rodgers. It may not surprise you that I actually have a blindside question for you about Aaron Rodgers. Okay, let's okay. go. Okay. Aaron Rodgers went on the record and spoke for the first time since the draft. So did the GM finally get a hold of him? Well, I... Because that was the story yeah. coming out for a couple of days, how he wasn't answering his phone because he was so mad that they picked, what's his name? What love? Jordan Love. Jordan Love. They only called him Bryce Love for two weeks. Um, first of all, I don't. I, I am sure that Brian Gutekunst and, and Aaron Rodgers have spoken. Um, but Aaron Rodgers uh, went went on the record uh, today, or maybe, I guess yeah, either today or yesterday, um, saying that he was quote not thrilled by the pick necessarily, but I understand. So he said that. But this, I'm, I'm not going to read all of this to you. Um, but basically, he said, "Look, I was a little surprised that that's what they did. I wasn't necessarily thrilled about it. I understand that." You know, general managers, coaches, they have to look at the team both now and in the future. So I get that. He said, but for me, I thought, you know, I had visions and still have expectations that I'll be playing into my 40s. This may shift where I play when it comes down to it. And I understand that. But my job is to make that decision as hard on them to make as I possibly can. 
He also went on to say that the day after the draft, he called Jordan Love. And uh, let's see. He said, first of all, this is a quote now from Aaron Rodgers. Quote, he's not to blame at all. He's just coming in excited about his opportunity. We had a great conversation the day after the draft, and I'm excited to work with him. He seems like a really good kid with a good head on his shoulders. Similar story, not heavily recruited out of college, kind of made his way to Utah State, and we've had some great conversations End quote. Uh, By the way, he also said, Aaron Rodgers, I've had great relationships over the years with backups, and I expect that to be the same type of relationship with Jordan. You know, again, he didn't uh, get asked to be drafted by the Packers. So not not resenting the draft pick, a.k.a. the way you might think that Brett Favre did of Aaron Rodgers when he came in. But everybody expected and thought and maybe reasonably so, and maybe in the heart of hearts truly, that Aaron Rodgers was going to be a righteous inferno of hate about this pick of love, okay? You see see how I did that with the language thing? Uh, anyway, here what we have is not only, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think he's like sitting up here just blatantly lying to people. I'm sure he did call Jordan Love and say like, hey, man, you know, welcome to the team. Wish you the best, you know, whatever it might be. In any case, are you surprised with, I don't know if conciliatory, it's that's certainly not the right word, but maybe maybe a bit more welcoming feel to at least what Aaron Rodgers said on the record while acknowledging he's not thrilled about the pick in terms of like what it would have meant to have maybe. How about, I don't know, a first-round wide receiver? How about T. Higgins who was on the board and all of that? But in any case... What does that make you – does that change anything the way you think, first of all, about how Aaron Rodgers is actually receiving the draft pick of Jordan Love and also in general about, like, his, I don't know, interaction and how he is, in, in uh, you know, as a football player? I think that if you're going to act the way Aaron Rodgers acts and conduct yourself the way that he conducts himself – then you have to win at the absolute highest level. He's almost done it. I think that there's only four guys in the entire league that can straight get hot enough to win you a Super Bowl. He did it once, but that was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think that the easiest way for Aaron Rodgers to get a lot of the criticisms that he's been receiving over the last several years off of his back is to just go win another one. No doubt. And it is a team sport. It's the greatest team sport ever created. But he's one of the only dudes in the history of the NFL that can do it. But but let me ask you this. Let's. I, I agree with you. Everything you just said. And you know who else I think agrees with you? Aaron Rodgers. No doubt. And you know what doesn't help you do that? A first-round draft pick being spent on a backup quarterback who it's, will it's not true. be playing it's football. True. It's true. It's true. But also you can't fall into the... The, the way that it's always spun is that the skill players get all the, the talk, all the love. Hardly anybody talks about how the Packers have had one of, if not the best offensive lines in the entire National Football League the last several years. That when, those, when Bakhtiari and Balaga got hurt, mm-hmm. that narrative disappeared for a minute. But if you, look, if you watch ProFootballFocus.com, when, those, when their offensive line was healthy, I think it was either last year or two years ago, they had the single highest rated center and the single yeah, the two high and the two highest rated tackles in the league. Mm-hmm. They're the only team that even had three offensive linemen in the top ten at their positions, but they had not just the top ten, the number one guy and the number one and two guys at the most important positions. Yeah. So first round wide receivers, okay, I get the gripe a little bit. But also 
And, and make no mistake, he hasn't had as much talent as maybe he deserves. But also, it's not to say that there's this crazy dearth of talent either. They've gotten him a lot of productive tight ends. And by the way, Devontae Adams is a really, really, really good player. Aaron Jones is a really, really good player. And and in Aaron Rodgers' defense, he's not. I've never heard him come out and go, "Look at what I have to work with." Right? These schmoes, these bunch of nobodies out here. What are you doing? He didn't. That's everybody else going. Could, and getting in on that thing. Could Russell Wilson win a, win a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers roster? Yes. Because that offensive line is a lot better than Russell Wilson's offensive line. Well, it is. Yes. That's all I'm saying. No, no, but, but I mean, I say yes. I also certainly say yes to Aaron Rodgers winning a Super Bowl with that roster. No doubt. I mean, it, it, it's, it goes back to my premise about Michael Jordan, too. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan gets away with more than anybody else, anybody else in terms of his critical leadership style because he went six for six. Mm-hmm. Six finals, six championships. If Aaron Rodgers had been played at five Super Bowls over the last 10 years and won a couple of them, we'd be having a different conversation. We sure would. We would be talking about Mike McCarthy in his 17th season at Green Bay <laughs> is what we'd be talking about. But also, it's it's so easy to scapegoat without looking at both sides either. Because I thought Mike McCarthy absolutely had to go. And if you had to make a choice yeah. between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers, you make the choice. But also, Mike McCarthy is a very good head coach. He lost it along the way down the stretch. And I think part of that was his personal relationship with Aaron Rodgers. But I don't think Aaron Rodgers is... Um, is he's not... Not he's not without some blame. Exactly. Yeah. He there he has some culpability in this thing as yeah, well. Right. I agree with you. Okay. Two tail Nuanas, one of two ninety ESPN radio. You got another question. I got one more for okay, you. Okay. Let's hear it. Okay. There's such this. Uh, we had a big argument yesterday. What's is new? is Patrick Mahomes unanimously the best quarterback in the league? I said yes. You said no. Well, and you, I, you said he's one step away. You said, I'm objectively right because if I say no, it isn't unanimous because I right, won. Right, right, right. Totally. I agree. Mark it. But another dub for Tutel. I think that, okay, so Patrick Mahomes has, I mean, he, he has already established himself as one of, if not the most beloved sports figures in the history of Kansas City. Oh, gracious. I mean, Jan Senarud, Patrick Mahomes. That's the, George that's Brett, the, the only ones. Those are yeah. the, that's the list, right? <laughs> Right. So, I think that we've talked about how when, when Mahomes is off his rookie contract, he's going to become the highest-paid football player in the history of the world. Well, yeah. No doubt. Okay. There's no doubt, right? I mean, of course, it's but it's I just sort of overstating it because just the next quarterback no, to get no paid doubt, just no becomes but, that. I'm saying but he, yes. he is the $50, $50 million man. Yeah, he's, he's worth it. He's going to get. He's worth it. He's going to get a dumb amount of money. He's going to yes. get a dumb amount of money. But I think that there's a, a, a perception that it's going to be with the Kansas City Chiefs. Because mm. why wouldn't they just throw down everything? Mm-hmm. And if you are, I mean, they just won the Super Bowl. They're the best team in the league. Right. And they're presumably not going to take any steps back right now because of all the returning players that they have and even probably an upgraded roster considering the way that they drafted and the way that they signed in the free agency. They're really darn good. Him and Andy Reid seem to be a match made in heaven. Right. But there's not been really any talk about what if Patrick Mahomes were to actually sign somewhere else? Mm. What team would break the NFL to get Patrick Mahomes? Would pay him all the money that it, there is on the planet? The Green Bay Packers. Patrick Mahomes went to Texas Tech. Mm. Patrick Mahomes is from Tyler, Texas, right outside of Dallas. Mm-hmm. I mentioned yesterday about Patrick Mahomes, what if he played for the Cowboys? Then I started thinking, hell, what if Patrick Mahomes actually did sign with the Dallas Cowboys? <laughs> 
That's my question. What if Patrick Mahomes, when he's a free agent, left Kansas City and went to Dallas? Well, here's here's the point. The, the key to that is when he's a free agent. The idea for the Kansas City Chiefs is there is no when he's a free agent, right? Like there is no such thing as Patrick Mahomes, the free agent. It doesn't exist. It is Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chief, and then later, like two years before free agency, Patrick Mahomes, the very, 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 very rich Kansas City Chief. Right. Those are your options for Kansas City. Uh, And so this is a pipe dream, okay? That said, if he went to the Cowboys, hockey's my favorite sport. (laughs) You know, that's that. That's where I'm at. Uh, I just, I mean, first of all, I, I'll say this: I love Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't hate the Chiefs. I don't love the Chiefs, but the fan base in Kansas City is great. Has always been great, no question. And we talk about the blue bloods of the NFL: the Giants, Steelers, the Cowboys, certainly. Sure, and that's great. And when they're good, it's good. It's good for the NFL. It's also good to have. Not necessarily the Jacksonvilles of the world, but the secondary and very established market. I mean, Kansas City's been there since day one, yep, man. No doubt. You know, and 50 years between Super Bowls and the whole thing. And so to have the Chiefs be good, be prime time, be must watch is good for the league. And I don't think it's some like, and I'm not saying you're insinuating this, I don't think it's like some major boon if he was to go to Dallas. Although, can you imagine? I mean, if Michael Jordan felt the pressure of, of, of media, I don't think that Texas Stadium or, you know, what is it, AT&T, it hold the number of cameras and videos and everything else that would be in there if that were to happen. But it's a, I mean, if there was one team who would just sell the farm to go get that guy for the sake of having that mm-hmm, guy, mm-hmm. we know. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're probably right. It probably Dallas. I find it interesting, though, with as much money as Jerry Jones has, as much pull as he has, as much money as the Cowboys have spent since he bought the Cowboys in the late 1980s, mm-hmm. they have gotten f- premier free agents across the board, except they've never gotten a premier free agent quarterback. Yeah. Do you find that interesting? Yeah. Because there's a perception that they're the New York Yankees of football, right? But they're not the New York Yankees of football because they aren't signing Mark Teixeira and Alex Rodriguez. They can't get that superstar quarterback. The the thing is, is that that one reason is is because superstar quarterbacks aren't just available. True. And the other thing is they, they have Troy Aikman, who is a superstar quarterback, even though he never won a, a, an MVP. I mean, he's he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, Troy Aikman is the second most overrated quarterback in NFL history, wow. behind Joe Namath. Boy, boy, that is. I just I'm not going to go out there with you on that one. But after after Troy Aikman, who was next? I don't even know, man. I don't. I don't either. But Tony, Jason Garrett. But I guess the point is, is that I mean, like Drew Tony Bledsoe Romo, is probably the best quarterback that they've. Well, Tony Romo, of course. Yeah. And Tony Romo, was he a superstar? Probably not. But he, you, Tony Romo is a superstar. You and I both. So, agree. Tony Romo is a superstar because of his personality, where he comes from, his his background. Like he, Tony Romo is a superstar and, and an outstanding quarterback. And even though he wasn't a premier, whatever free agent signee and all of that, like he is, like. 
Jerry Jones, well, they, Dallas did a great job of getting him, of finding him, and having him develop into an outstanding quarterback. So not having whatever the premier guy is is more in virtue of they've had guys that they were happy with and also just, again, availability because it doesn't ha- – who was the last like superstar and sort of in their prime quarterback that hit the free agency market and went to another team? I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying to think about who that would be. I mean, Drew Brees, but he was damaged goods because of the shoulder injury. Yeah, true. And and nobody, Drew Brees at that. What was he in his third year, second year? I mean, no, nobody had Drew Brees the way we got Drew Brees now. You know, that's nobody had that as as him being him. I mean, I'm talking about a guy who's you know clearly a top five or at least top seven quarterback in the league. I mean, Cam Newton's sitting out there right now. This is a little different situation, but he's he's almost as high a profile quarterback as I've seen available that I can that I can recall. Because guys change teams at the end, man. Right? Tom Brady, Brett Favre, Joe Montana. They don't they don't change in in the heart of it. It does not happen. That's why maybe you know again maybe that's a a good argument for drafting quarterbacks. When you can. I mean, if, if you want to look for a, a reason to draft a Jordan Love, if you're Green Bay right now, it's because if you get to the end with Brett Favre, excuse me, with Aaron Rodgers, the, the, you can, you got nowhere to turn unless you've prepared that in-house, right? Which they did well with Aaron Rodgers the first time. They're trying to do that again. And by the way, this is exactly what New England tried to do. What about Peyton Manning? Because Peyton Manning was not on the, mm. the end of his career. He 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 did he was damaged goods though because he's coming off that neck surgery. But then he didn't he go break the NFL record for touchdowns yeah, in a season. That's a good one. That's a very good one. That's uh, a very other one unique situation. The other one, that, one. The other one is Rich Gannon. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, mean Rich Gannon was a a good player and then went in and won an MVP with the Raiders. How Kurt Warner? Mm. But. All of these guys had dips in production and they needed yeah. a second chance. Yeah, um, there's got to well, be for Aaron Rodgers or excuse me for 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 Peyton Manning. I mean, remember I, when I, I got Manning one. Got I, got, I, got one. He's, I don't know if he plays. I got, again. I got one. Warren Moon. Mm. When Warren Moon left the Oilers and went to the Vikings, mm-hmm. that was that was a quarterback at the top of his game that went somewhere else. Okay, that's a good one. Randall and, Cut, Randy Cut, Randall Cunningham as well. And now, if we're getting into the Cunninghams and Moons, I mean, that really makes the point, right? I mean, we're talking 25 years, right? And so. You know, it ain't going to happen with Patrick Mahomes. Believe me, there will be 31 franchises in the NFL if Patrick Mahomes leaves Kansas City because Arrowhead will be a pile of rubble. It's Tutelo Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Quick break on the other side. Colton talks about linemen. You can go. It's okay. We'll let you change your radios now. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Boys and girls, two telling Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Happy Friday to you. 
Hope you're having a wonderful afternoon, evening, heading into uh, the weekend. If you missed anything in the show, you can check it out on the podcast. The podcast is available uh, wherever you get your podcast. The Two Tell Nuanas podcast is uh, out there for your consumption at your leisure at any time. Search Two Tell Nuanas, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate all the folks. If you're listening on the podcast now, well, good for you. Thank you for doing it. Podcast brought to us by Blackfoot and Alpine Touch. Uh, Coulter, uh, what did we break last segment? Oh, Pat Mendrahone's going to uh, D- Dallas. Okay. Um, that's not yet accurate. Likely Nor will it accurate. be. No, never, it never will never, be. Never. I was just just uh, speculating to stir the pot. Well, why not? Rabble rousing. Yeah, sure, sure. No, that, absolutely. Uh, all right. Now, you got two things here. We've been talking about the, the, the offensive linemen. That, yeah, let's do it. That once were in or not, but also Chris Paul and the, and the NBA stuff. Yeah, we can talk Chris Paul next week. Okay. Chris Paul's the head of the Players Association, and so he said they really want to play. I think that's another step towards maybe the NBA coming back. But um, talked about this on Anthony Knockrander's show earlier this week with yep. him. Uh, Eric Tabor, Sports Information Director, University of Montana, he put out a tweet uh, earlier this week. It was just... Um, yeah, I saw this. This was great. It was just the starting lineups from the 2001 National Championship game of the Montana... University of Montana yeah. offensive and defensive lines. The University of Montana's offensive line 2001 when they won the national championship featured Kalispell native Dylan McFarlane at left tackle, Whitefish native Thatcher Slay at left guard, Helena native Brian Pelk at center, Ballantine Montana native Derek Decker at right guard, and Dylan Montana native John Skinner at right tackle. Now the, count them up. What's that, five for five? Five for five. Okay. The defensive line featured CSA Pitcher out of Anaconda, Kurt Coulter out of Heisham, John Cahill out of Billings, and Tim Bush out of Kellogg, Idaho, which might as well be Montana because it's only about, what, an hour and a half well, from here? Well, let's be clear. It ain't Montana. It ain't Montana. But I don't think anybody is going to yell about Tim Bush having been on the floor. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So then this got me thinking of a conversation that you and I have had with each other, with coaches around the state. And it used to just be that you could go get your whole offensive line from Montana. And it wouldn't have to just be lunch play old blue-collar guys. I mean, you're talking – Joel McFarlane, draft pick. Thatcher Slay, one of, if not the greatest More interior. More importantly, friend of the show. Friend of the show, Joel McFarlane, totally. Shout out. But Thatcher Slay, I mean, one of, if not the greatest interior offensive lineman in the history of, these, of mm-hmm. the University of Montana, as well as a guy that played in the NFL for half a dozen years. You know, Brian Pelk, an all-conference player. Derek Decker, an all-conference player. John Skinner, an All-American. Not just solid Montana guys. These are... I honestly would say that the, those five guys I just named would be five of the ten best offensive linemen in the league right now. Yeah. And you also had at Montana State a bunch of in-state guys as well. During the 2000s under Mike Kramer, I mean, Jeff Hansen, Jeff Bolton, a bunch of in-state Montana guys. And even earlier on in this decade, you would have a lot of more than half usually of your offensive line would be Montana guys. Mm-hmm. And more than half, if not all of your defensive line would be Montana guys as well. It's not the case anymore. You look at Montana's offensive line last year. Colton Kynes and Dylan Cook basically had a, a walk-on platoon at right tackle. That was it. But other than that, all the rest of the guys are from out of state. You look at Monta- Montana State's offensive line last year. Mitch Brott, left, Amer- left tackle, All-American. Other than that, out-of-state guys. It used to be there was between five and eight Division One scholarship caliber offensive linemen in Montana every year. Now it's one or two. I think there's a ton of factors that have gone into this. I think, one, Montana high schools used to just develop offensive linemen better, but also 
in a more similar fashion to the universities because everybody was running old, old school offenses, right? And they, so you know when you're coming out of Dylan, it's not that big of a transition to then go to Montana because it's it's a similar thing. Now everybody's running the spread, but if you're going to run the spread, then a lot of times the out of state offensive linemen are going to be a little bit more quote unquote athletic. The the bruising Montana tough guy maybe doesn't have as good of a chance. I also think that coaches have maybe gotten in their own way a little bit in terms of recruiting based on a prototype. So then, therefore, you're going to go get the six foot five, two hundred seventy five pound kid wherever you can find him. And a lot of times, you can just find him easier outside of the state of Montana. But why is there less six foot five, two hundred seventy five pounders? That's the mystery to me. But we presented this to Bobby Halk one time after a press conference, and he said, "Oh, I'll give you the Craig Paulson theory." Craig Paulson, obviously from uh, Geraldine, Montana, guy that was a all-time great Grizz and was the defensive coordinator here for seven years under Coach Houck. And like Paulson said, there is no new families that are moving to to the small agricultural towns in eastern Montana. It's the old families. So you're basically running out of high school kids. Mm -hmm. That impacts some of it. But also you have, because of crop reduction programs, also because of technological innovation, it's a lot easier to farm a large plot of land. And then a lot of farmers are getting paid to not farm large plots of land. So it's it's contributed to um, the decrease in population in a lot of these places. Sydney and Miles City were never big towns, but they were a lot bigger and a lot more vibrant with a lot more new high school kids coming up through right. the ranks than they are now. And I think well, that has an impact on it because so often so many of those families, especially because so many people that decided to settle in Montana during the pioneer days, you're talking about people of Scandinavian, Irish, you know, Norwegian descent, big people. And then you... you factor in that they work for a living, you grow up on a farm, and it's the cliche farm boy strong. There's just not as many big farm boys coming off of these small towns in Montana. I think that has a big impact on it as well. Yeah, I mean, when those big kids have been practicing football since they were four years old, but instead of calling it football practice, they called it chores. Right. It it has an effect. And again, I, I, I think that Less numbers in total is certainly part of it, but also I think your point is a good one. I mean, the, the, the technological advances in things like, I mean, one of the most technically advanced pieces of equipment that exists is a seeder on a, on, on a farm, like a seeding tractor. Right. And what it has, and in terms of the automated response to the soil moisture and fertilizer and type and all this stuff and everything that you can do. And not to say that you weren't, of course, using tractors before, but there is a ton of obviously high end, you know, planting, uh, growing and harvesting that is happening in a, in, in a much more quote unquote automated way. But also I think there is some of the, uh, just the human labor element of it that has been reduced probably to the good of agriculture, but not necessarily to the good of developing offensive linemen from a young age out there, you know, on the farms where they are. And I think I think that's real. I I also think though, truly, there there is not and I'm I may be speaking out of turn on this. This is this is speculation, okay? But I don't know that there's the emphasis at from a coaching standpoint in the middle and high school levels of of offensive lines, linemen being that and their grooming and development it's sort of the art of it, and and also to some extent the size and the strength of it. I think a lot of that yeah, has been true. shifted, maybe because of football in yeah. itself and the spread and stuff like that. Right. But uh, you know, I Gary, Gary Eckergren wasn't going to let you on the offensive line, you know, not know what it was that you were doing, and you were going to be the fulcrum of the whole thing. And right. some places I think that's still true, and other places it isn't. 
I think that's true. I also think we've given kids a lot of free will. I think that's really good in a lot of ways, and I think it's really bad in a lot of ways too. I think that if you were a six foot six, two hundred and fifty pound kid walking around in any of the class A or below high schools, <laughs> you were playing football. Yes. Now that kid might just not, and yeah. that's okay if it's not for him, and he just goes in the band or is a drama kid or whatever. Right. Colton Kynes is a great example, right? Colton Kynes is a a drama kid, you know, at Big Sky, and yeah. then. They just found him, and they're like, "You want to give him a ton of credit? He give he gave it a go, and yeah. now he's a pretty darn good player." Really good. Yep. But that that situation happens less often, where you're like, "Hey, six eight guy, you're playing football." Plenty more of this. We'll see if we can get the Department of Ag on the phone and see if we can fix this problem uh, next week, boys and girls. Thanks for being here. It's two telling the ones. Have a wonderful and safe weekend. We'll catch you on Monday. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.